0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Full Circle Podcast where we continue the exploration of discovery. Today we talk about an incredible story of madness and finding yourself again through the fog. How would you cope if you literally lost your mind? I have joining me today neuroscientist Barbara Lipska. Who was diagnosed in early 2015 with a metastatic melanoma in her brain's frontal lobe. As the cancer progressed and was treated she experienced behavioural and cognitive symptoms connected to a wide range of mental health disorders including dementia and her professional speciality schizophrenia. Gradually after a course of immunotherapy Barbara returned to normal functioning and amazingly recalled her experience. Through her knowledge of neuroscience, she identified the ways in which her brain changed during treatment. She admits her condition was unusual and after recovery, she was able to return to her research and resume her athletic training and compete in a triathlon, which is just amazing. Most patients with similar brain cancers rarely survive. And certainly unable to describe their ordeal. Barbara's memoir, The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind, co-authored with journalist Elaine McArdle, shows that strength and courage, but also an encouraging support network, are vital to recover. I am absolutely honoured to have Barbara join me to tell us of her remarkable story. And if you shared your questions with Barbara on Instagram, thank you. I look forward to having her answer them for you. Welcome, Barbara, to our conversation. It's so lovely to have you here today.
1: Uh, welcome, uh, and thank you for the invitation.
0: It's <laughs> it's lovely. So mm-hmm. really looking forward to our conversation because I wanted, obviously, having read your background and understood more a little bit about your story, I think there's something that's going to be really interesting for our audience to hear more about your experiences. So I thought what might be useful just as a starting point is just to maybe just tell us a little bit more around yourself, and your background?
1: So first of all, I'm a neuroscientist. I came from Poland, it was 33 years ago, I cannot believe it, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, was working in the lab. I was a mother of two, I am a mother of two, (laughs) a wife, as I said, a scientist, and an athlete. This was a big part of my life, to be an athlete. Uh, I did marathons, triathlons, I swam. (laughs) I was a skier also, which I really loved. Well, it is important to our story because uh, that has changed, unfortunately, and it breaks my heart. (laughs) So, um, I started work in NIH, at NIH, National Institutes of Health, in and uh, was working on schizophrenia and mental illness. And my story is that I myself fell into mental illness during my severe illness that I Mm -hmm. had.
0: So tell me more about how you discovered that you were ill and that you had the
1: tumour. Well, it is a a long story. So (laughs) it started in 2009. As I said, I was in a very good shape. I had a breast cancer. So it is one after another, I experienced very severe illnesses, first breast cancer. Two years later, I discovered that I had a spot on my neck and it turned out to be melanoma. Three years later, it moved to my brain. So it metastasized. And that was the horror story, because if melanoma moves to the brain, this is the end of the story, usually. 100% of people died of this illness when it spread to the brain. So, it was tragic, as you can imagine. But I was lucky in all this, because exactly at the same time, it was 2015, there appeared a treatment for melanoma in the brain. And I was an experimental animal, to to, <laughs> to just say it bluntly. I agreed to participate in a clinical trial. Nobody knew if I would survive it or not. I had to agree to participate because there was no other treatment, otherwise I would just die, and it was, as I said, 100%. So, during this treatment, which was IV intravenous infusions of monoclonal antibodies, proteins, that bound to the other proteins, and it prevented the spread of this cancer, which was the most aggressive cancer. And during this treatment, strange things happened. Yeah,
0: tell me more about
1: those things. Yeah, I, I lost my mind. So the cancers not disappeared, but grew. Everything was inflamed in my brain. No one knew about it, and no one before me experienced it, because I was basically the first patient undergoing this treatment. So even my doctor didn't predict it and didn't test me for that. I didn't have any scanning done. I just was living with the treatment. And what happened, no one knew it. My family was completely not aware of what is happening to me. I started behaving strangely. I lost insight. I was going to the street running because I still considered myself an athlete. I was running in the street, barely dressed, I didn't see it, (laughs) I didn't realize I was ill. I became suspicious of everything, I thought everybody is waiting for us to be killed, to die. I did other strange things. I lost empathy, I lost love to my family, which I really dearly love and um, I'm always with them. So it was pretty horrible. They were crying, I didn't see them crying. And it was the tragic things for them more than for me because I was not aware of my own situation. And at the
0: time, did you recognize how you was behaving?
1: No, I didn't. I lost insight. This was like mental illness, very similar to mental illness. And I knew a lot about mental illness because I was always working on this. But I didn't recognize my own situation, being knowledgeable about this. So it is similar to patients with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder. They don't recognize their own situation, their own illness. And that was the same with me. I was angry. I was screaming. I was behaving like, as I said, a child with tantrums. And I didn't see it It's inappropriate. Not at all. I can absolutely hear that. And so
0: obviously your family were witnessing that. Yes. And those people, obviously, because I would imagine it would be very traumatic for your family to see their mum or wife behaving that way when that's not how you behaved before. So how did you figure that out? What did you need in terms of support to understand what
1: was happening to you in those moments? Well, the problem is I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. I, when they said something wrong is happening, that we should see the doctor, I was adamant that it's not the case. I was screaming at them. No, no, no. Don't. Control me, I am an independent woman. I am a scientist, I know what I am doing. (laughs) They couldn't drag me to the doctor, but in the end they did actually and they saved me. They contacted the doctor and the doctor prescribed MRI and we, against my will, drove to the hospital and it turned out I have a lot more tumors in the brain. It's not working properly, but they saved my life and my mind because such a big uh, swelling in the brain leads to to death, usually. Mm
0: -hmm. Obviously, yeah, absolutely. So given your professional background and studying the brain for so many years that you did, and looking back now, the impact that that had on you, what's come out of that experience for you?
1: Well, when I was gaining sanity, which took a long time, uh, months, I realized that what happened to me is unbelievable. (laughs) And I tried to explain it to myself. I treated myself as an experimental animal. (laughs) I saw what horror it is to be mentally ill. And I tried to understand it. And I was saved by very high doses of steroids. Steroids, these high doses of steroids sometimes cause mania. And I was really manic. <laughs> I was trying with such strength to understand what is happening. But then I started to writing this book. And I was writing it day and night. I didn't sleep and i was reading about it even more than before and very slowly i understood that What's happened to me, and very slowly I was regaining my sanity with the help of family because I couldn't I couldn't remember everything.
0: That's what I was going to ask you and, and explore with you, obviously, because the book that you've written is called the the neuroscience who lost her mind. Yeah, uh, which is amazing title for for the book, obviously. But I'm curious around the experience of what was it like recounting. Everything that had happened. How did it feel for you as you were hearing those stories, or even reflecting back on, as you was coming out of your traumatic experience? Can you remember how it felt at the time recounting some of those memories and stories?
1: Well, as I said, I was thrilled. As a scientist, I was not crying. I was not terrified by by my own. tragic experience. I was rather lifted and surprised that it can happen, and it happened to me. That's why I, write, I wrote this book, to let other people know that it can happen and how it can happen. I knew where I had tumors, so I knew exactly which brain regions were dysfunctional, and I understood what mental illness is connected to, I mean, w- regulated by which regions. So it was amazing to me. <laughs> mm, so there was a lots of
0: curiosity then yes, around yes. what had happened. Yeah.
1: I understood that is tragic, but uh, I think I was more in awe of what happened than terrified by it. I should have been terrified as my family was, but I wasn't.
0: And through the experience, has your, I suppose your understanding or your perception changed around mental illness or chronic health conditions?
1: Well, I knew it before because I'm a scientist. But not everybody knows it, that mental illness, it is the illness of the brain. And I had a perfect evidence that it really is like that that if the brain doesn't work, if it's damaged, if it's injured, this can happen. Not exactly like it happened in my case, because it depends what it is, where it is, how long it is uh, damaged, but it is the brain illness. It is not some, you know, some other force uh, making you ill. It is not your mother, <laughs> and, uh, you know, how how it, how she behaved raising you. It is something in the brain. It may not be damaged, like in my case. It may be caused by some chemical imbalance, mm-hmm. as they say, or, or genetics. We're discovering now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But from your experience as a scientist, especially in, in the neuroscience area, obviously your experience felt like it was very unique to you so the fact that for example you was a runner and that you still went out running yeah you know from your experience and and research and understanding would the experience if if anybody else was to have damage on their brain and and how they react is that a very unique and personal thing
1: do you do you believe or would we all react the same well, not the same, but similarly, in terms of losing a conscious, real mind behavior. I actually have another person, a friend now, that had the same experience. He was treated by the same drugs that I was, and uh, his brain was maybe swollen or changed. And he told me the story that one day his wife noticed that he's in the bathroom, Washing his hands, but the water was not running, so mm-hmm. his mind was not fully aware of what is happening around him. Yeah. But yeah. I was the first patient. <laughs> he well, he had the same doctor, so when he went and told him the story, the doctor already knew that these drugs may cause swelling in the brain, and this yeah. probably would happen in this case too.
0: But it's amazing though that you were able to recover. And I'm curious around the journey of healing that you did. How did you go about that?
1: So it took a long time. This is the first thing. It didn't happen overnight that the the swelling came down and everything was regained. As I said, my family helped me. remember being, again, a person that loves and so on. (laughs) But... uh, I lost many other things, for instance, my physical abilities are severely damaged. I run, but I don't run as fast. (laughs) I lost uh, balance, so I cannot ski, I cannot uh, ride a bike, and it pains me. This was a big part of my life before, This was something that we did together with my husband. So we cannot do it because I don't bike anymore. So it actually caused permanent damages.
0: Reflecting upon that, and obviously you know the science behind everything, but how do you reconcile that side? Because obviously it's the mental side of it, obviously the neuroscience side of it, which is the the facts and the data, but there's also then the emotional aspect of not being able to do the things that you once did. And I I wondered how that felt and how that impacts. Uh,
1: It's probably part of the resilience that I show. (laughs) I did show it during the illness, but I show it now. And it it is something that is probably in me, (laughs) innate. I don't know how to describe it better. I have to remember this, uh, that... I am not the same person anymore. First of all, I aged. So, it was several years ago, I am now an aged person and I cannot expect to do exactly the same things which I loved and do them again and again and again. I am not running marathons anymore which I planned I will do and even when I'm 90, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I work on it not to be emotionally destroyed, which is work. And I have to think about it, that not to give up, I do what I can do, which is a lot of things, <laughs> reading, being at home, loving, traveling, but not necessarily skiing, not necessarily biking, and be happy with this. So. Uh, living in a moment, uh, I am alive and this is the most important thing. And when you said
0: that I'm alive and that's the most important thing, and you can't expect things to be the same, it feels to me that there's been lots of acceptance then around the circumstances and the situation that you've found yourself in. I wondered because obviously your profession and, you know, as we 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 have so much more awareness now of mental illness. Now, I know yours was caused through cancer and and, and the treatment and everything, but just that general sense of, of awareness of mental health. I mean, what is your perspective now on that just generally? Because, you know, years ago it was very taboo. It's now so much more spoken about and there's so much more awareness about it, but I'm not quite sure that we really fully understand the impact that when somebody might have we you know, don't. schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah we don't do we it really.
1: <laughs> we have we have the, the, fully. The, the, we just exactly. don't
0: <laughs> yeah and so I wondered from your professional expertise from from over your years of experience around what should we be doing to understand?
1: I don't know what we should do. <laughs> but uh, we may think a, a little bit more about it and read a little mm-hmm. bit more about it and be happy with with what we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can enjoy the different things at different stages of our life, even if we're not ill uh, or uh, mm-hmm. we age. We have different interests when we're young and we had different abilities when we were young. And... Uh, this is yeah as you said acceptance of the stages of the life of our lives and not be angry with uh, things that we cannot do
0: yeah my grandfather for for example he was not fully fledged dementia but kind of loss of memory and he was moving towards aspects of dementia and again i'm wondering from a because obviously your family sounded to me from what you've described were very supportive obviously they were Mm -hmm. very upset and and disturbed by what happened, which you would genuinely, every every family, I most probably would be. But in terms of advice or guidance to family members who are helping somebody through, whether it's something, what you'd had or just general loss, you know, dementia, schizophrenia, those types of maybe more serious mental health issues, you know, and challenges, what advice would you give those family members?
1: So part of my book is about destigmatizing mm. mental illness. Not be angry, not expect that things will change immediately. Be tolerant to the person who is suffering. Because it's a big suffering, which I experienced myself. I was not aware of what's happening to me, but the suffering was still there. The anger, sure. the, the lack of satisfaction with life. It's, it's beyond their power. And mental illness should be treated like, like heart disease, like any other disease. You have to show a tolerance and patience toward these people and not treat them as they were guilty of it. They, were not, they are not guilty that they are ill, like cardiac disease. There is no guilt uh, associated with this. But until we know what is causing these diseases, we cannot do much, and we don't, basically. We don't. We know that there are genes involved, but we don't exactly know which ones. And these genes have their effects on the brain, on everything, actually. They affect everything, including the brain function.
0: I've been doing a lot of work looking at that kind of mind-body connection. And as you've described, you know, that the fact that the, the mind has come back, but that actually there's, there's aspects of your body that you just, like balance, for example, mm-hmm. you, you you know, you can't do the things that you once did. And and so are you saying then that through this process that it will affect everything, including the, not just the mind, it affects the body and and, and everything yes. else? yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I gave an example that I was treated with high doses of steroids, the the swelling was treated that way. And it affected my behavior very, very strongly. As I said, I was in mania. It was not to give me mania, it was to reduce swelling. And who would have known that I would became manic? and. Um, behave a different in a different way it was not related to the illness at all but to the treatment
0: so i'm, I'm curious barbara around obviously you've learned a lot through this experience but I'm, I'm wondering when you sit back now and you reflect upon you know where you are now to where you were what are the key lessons that you've learned about yourself but also around the experience that you had
1: I think I, I had courage that I decided to, to try this treatment that saved my life. And um, if I didn't have this courage, I would have been dead by now. So it is important to try something different if it gives you a chance, even a small chance, to live or to get better. Another thing, I, what I learned was the love of my family, that they love me and I love them so strongly. They were, in a way, tried, of course, <laughs> of course, not intentionally, but if not for them, I would be, again, dead. They saved me. So uh, I'm, I'm much closer to them now. I was always very close to them, but it became even more close than before, and they are worried all the time. I'm not worried. I think, as I was before, very independent and strong person, but uh, they are in different position. They, uh, you know, looking at someone who you don't control, really, makes you fearful that something will happen and will be in this situation again. I am really sorry for them that that I caused this trouble. Not trouble. Trouble is <laughs> not a right not a right word. But I couldn't do anything about it.
0: And I think that's what you mentioned before is that that's what one thing that we need to consider is around tolerance and patience because this is not something that you're doing. It is out of your control. And yes. I think that's something and it shows for me from the way that you've described with your family that everybody's pulled together in such a distressful time Yes. and actually the outcome is that it's brought you, even though you're close already, but it's brought you so much more closer yes. um, but it does require tolerance and understanding and, yes. and patience Yes. because actually it's not something that you brought on yourself, it just happened. It just
1: happened and it can happen to anybody at any, any time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mentioned, to live in in the moment, because you never know what will happen to you. So I am glad that I could ski, which I loved, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I do all the things that I did, because I cannot do them now. I only have memories of that, which are beautiful memories. I don't regret. I was courageous. I did strange things, (laughs) crazy things in my life, and uh, at least I have the memories. What would happen if I didn't do it? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So
0: now then, in terms of, obviously, like you said, there's some things that you can do, there's other things that you can't do. What other things are you now doing that bring you
1: joy? I love swimming. It relaxes me. I would recommend it to everybody. It's a great exercise. I have a personal trainer who comes to our house, especially during COVID, it's impossible to go to the gym. And um, I trained with her (laughs) twice a week. As you see, I am physical, I love it. And if I were not doing it, I would be depressed. I read a lot. I cook a lot. I love to do it as well i love nature <laughs> and i love my family again and again i will say it stress it that i visit them they visit us we talk constantly to them i talk to them every single That's day awesome. although they don't live that close we cannot visit them that often yeah
0: thank you for sharing that so i'm just kind of curious around As now you move forward, because you mentioned that you've retired now from being a scientist and you're enjoying your retirement by the sounds of things. So do you have any kind of promises to yourself or any kind of intentions around how you want to be now moving forward?
1: For a long while, I was thinking about writing another book. What is the life after you experience something like that? Or, or even a different thing, but uh, as tragic as my own story. It was to be uh, called Thrivers. How do you thrive after being so low and almost dead? And I started doing this, so maybe the book will come out. I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: very interesting uh-huh. are you and are you enjoying the writing aspect of that
1: i love writing mm-hmm. <laughs> i love writing but it is not the same as i as before i had this story that mm-hmm. i tried to scientifically dissect i'm not sure if it will come out in the same fashion but
0: it's interesting though because one could argue that you're different, and maybe it doesn't need to come out in the same way. Maybe it comes out in the way that it's meant to be as you are now. Mm -hmm. That is
1: relevant to my life after that. But it's not that exciting anymore. I thought about the previous story as exciting, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Death is exciting, and it was almost death. It excited me, it was dramatic. Now um, it is just be happy. <laughs> uh, well, I
0: don't know. There's a lot to there's a lot <laughs> to argue, isn't there? That actually maybe that might be a better topic in terms of helping others maybe find happiness within. Because it feels to me, from what you've shared, that you have got a sense of con- these are my words, not yours, but a sense of contentment and and connection and deep love for those around uh-huh. you, your family. And you found acceptance in the things that you can do, but also on the things that you can't do.
1: Yes, I agree. But on the other hand, I think that was not that different before than I am now. That basic traits that uh, I'm happy no matter what. (laughs) Maybe even happier now because I know what could be lost. I was always happy. I was always independent sometimes I got angry so it is a trait uh, during this uh, losing my mind uh, a trait that I, I had all the time I'm not a calm person I'm not <laughs> I'm not a person that agrees on everything no so I would say I didn't change that much <laughs> I discovered what, I, what could have been lost if I didn't do things that I did because
0: I was going to ask you the, you know, and I hope you don't mind this, but that sense of before and after in terms of how you was before and how you are now. But it, what you're saying is that actually there's there's not a lot of difference between your personality.
1: No, it isn't. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> Only yeah. the knowledge that I all this could have been lost, you know. I was yeah. not that old at the time. I was over 50, so... I thought always that I had so much life left and now I realize that it might have been lost prematurely I thought but but who says what is you know when, when it is uh, time to die or when it is a right moment no one knows it
0: but it does feel though that there is a lot of similarities before then and now but there's that realization that and these again yes. these are my words but what it stirs within me is that life is very precious yes and mm. it's it it makes me reflect upon that actually this this moment that you've said a few times to live in the present to be in the moment and to enjoy Yes. Those things that you have, whether that's family, friendships, the activities that you can do. And and it feels to me that actually it's quite an important lesson that, because I think we can forget that life's short and that we only get this one lifetime in this body, you know. And so I think we can forget about those things. And I suppose, especially from maybe a mental health perspective, well, how can we help people remember that? Because life is precious and it's a wonderful gift.
1: Yes, but... I also forget, even after this. <laughs> That's why, partially, I, I wrote this book, because I don't want to forget it. I look at this book, which now becomes something outside of me, not my story, even. And remember that this happened to me, that I shouldn't behave as I sometimes do, be impatient, be unpleasant to people, Because I might have lost it, I need to be more tolerant, a little more calm, not showing really unpleasant behaviors, because I almost died, so...
0: So that's your reminder to yourself,
1: isn't it? (laughs) Yes, yes, in a way, in a sense, yes. Just to to keep reminding you.
0: Okay, so just before we wrap up, and I'm very grateful for your time, Barbara, it's been lovely talking to you, and Mm -hmm. thank you very much for sharing your story. It is unbelievable that you've come through all that and you've come out the other end, which is just amazing. And obviously for the listeners, if you haven't, Heard about Barbara's book, then it is called The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind. So check that out if you want to find out more about Barbara and her story. You've talked about the key lessons, but thinking about moving forward, as I said, and, and, and your intention, I always ask previous guests, you know, do they have a, a phrase or or anything that they say to themselves just to kind of keep themselves? on track so you've just described there that every now and again you might have a, a wobble and you might forget yeah. and so I'm wondering yeah. Do you have anything for you that helps you live in the moment?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it because you can lose it you, you can lose it e- even if you don't know about it. So live in the moment. Yeah, lovely. yeah. I
0: love that. Thank you for sharing that Well, so if people want to get hold of you, and I know that you've retired, but if they did want to learn more about your story, apart from reading the book, is there any other way that people could find out more about you?
1: I have a website, barbalipska.com. They can check me as an athlete, as a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm as a mother
0: (laughs) that's amazing Barbara thank Mm. you so much thank you it's been it's been lovely talking to you and thank you as I said for sharing your story today thank you so much it was a pleasure this conversation was really quite remarkable because Barbara has been on a, a very unique and unusual journey one that actually rarely sees patients survive. In fact, as she described, it was normally a 100% death rate of having the tumour and the cancer in a brain the way that it was. But due to the medication, she was able to survive and has now obviously told and shared her story with many. What struck me about this conversation was the learning around mental awareness and health awareness in general, which is that... As those who have family members, friendships, relationships with those people who are struggling with mental health disease in particular, such as dementia or schizophrenia or other things that we're unable to really detect, then patience and tolerance are the key factors that can really help in someone healing. And how hard it is for family members to see a parent, an intimate relationship, some you know, a wife, a husband, somebody go through this, even maybe a child experience it, and the impact of that trauma and how that then kind of connects the family at a much deeper level. The other thing that struck me was when Barbara said, live in the moment, live for today, be present. And she sometimes forgets. But the importance of remembering. And staying true to yourself in those moments is important. And quite an important message, I think, for us all to remember. That regardless of what happens, there is still the opportunity to live life in the present. I mean, Barbara has gone on a very real journey of not even recognising herself and feeling so disconnected from her mind and her body. And maybe others who may be listening feel like you're lost too, all have lost sight of your true self. And so take some of what Barbara shared and apply that to your own life because there's certainly things that I'm going to apply to mine. Thank you for listening.